Well, good morning, Christ City. Today we are in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, and we're going to look at the golden rule. We all are familiar with the golden rule or with some version of it. Maybe, maybe we know the phrase, do unto others as you would have them do to you. This sentiment, this thought, this phrase is just ubiquitous in our culture. It's, it's everywhere. It's common. It's saturated our, our media. And yet again, as we come to the golden rule in the Sermon on the Mount, we come to a passage of scripture that must be understood in its context. We must look at it to hear from the words of Jesus, to hear this phrase on the lips of Jesus, if we're to understand it, not as a soundbite, but as he intended it to be understood in the Sermon on the Mount. So let's do that this morning. And as we do, I want to ask the question, what is the context then? Well, the context is this. Starting in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 in the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus said, he said that he, um, uh, he didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets, he came to fulfill them. Starting there where he said that, going all the way into chapter 7, verse 12 in our, in our section today, in this whole midpoint of the sermon, or this, this body, these two chapters of the sermon, Jesus has been teaching us about his greater righteousness. He's been teaching us about what it means to become followers of him in his kingdom and to live with wholehearted love and devotion for God, to know his love for us, and to live that out horizontally towards one another, to live his greater righteousness. He's been teaching us about that. The golden rule here now is on the back end of that teaching, kind of the last book end, uh, and it's a summary statement of Jesus' teaching on his greater righteousness, just summarizing all of what he's told us so far as he begins to draw his Sermon on the Mount to a conclusion. So we're going to look at this in a lot more detail right now. We're going to unpack uh, what I've been saying. We're going to unpack this golden rule in three points. This morning we're going to look at the golden rule, point one, the standard of love, point two, and the power and practice of love, point three. So the golden rule, the standard of love, and the power and the practice of love. So look with me then at our first point, the golden rule in chapter 7, verse 12. And as we do that, notice uh, in particular this last line, the last half of 7, verse 12. Jesus says this. He says, Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Isn't that interesting? Jesus draws a connection here with the golden rule, what he says here, and the law and the prophets, the first half of the Bible, uh, the teaching of the Bible up into the time of Jesus coming. And what he's telling us here is this. He's saying, obeying chapter 7, verse 12, obeying the golden rule and his words here, it fulfills the heart of the Bible's teaching about, we, about how we as human beings are called to relate to one another. That this fulfills the teaching of, of the Bible, the law and the prophets, about how we as human beings are called to relate one to the other. And moreover, the golden rule is really another way of saying that we should just love our neighbors as ourselves. We've heard that before in scripture many times. We should love our neighbors as ourselves. And it's the same thing, uh, and, and drawn in, in this way, this connection, that they're, they're both saying the same thing, and we can see the connection this way. We can see... Clearly, when this is connected in Jesus' mind, the golden rule and the command to love our neighbors, when we compare his words here in chapter 7, verse 12, with another summarizing statement about the law and the prophets that he gives later in Matthew 22, verses 37 to 40. So look at that with me. 
Look at, look at it with me and see the connection. Jesus says here in this text, he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. The fulfillment of the law and the prophets is in fact loving God with all your heart, with all your soul and all your mind and loving your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus, he focuses in on that and he focuses his attention on the, the latter part of that in chapter 7, verse 12. And he says, and draws a connection between the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, not just with loving your neighbor, but with this. seven twelve. whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. So here's a question. Why doesn't Jesus just say then that we should love one another here in Matthew 7, verse 12, if that's what he's really getting at? If what he's saying is just love one another, then why does he say it this way? Why does he give us this golden rule? Well, he gives it to us, I think, because of this. I think it's because he knows our hearts. And he knows that we're actually geniuses as as human beings and getting around the love command. We're geniuses at excusing ourselves and trying to find a way to avoid it, to just think about it in the abstract and to avoid living it in a concrete way. So Jesus knows that and he gives us a concrete statement. This concrete statement. And it forces us to evaluate our actions to see whether they are loving or not. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, Jesus says. So let's just think about that for a second. Let's look at a couple of examples. Um, Christ City, I think that we could get to the root of this if we ask ourselves these questions. So I'm going to ask you, Christ City, do you love your neighbors? Do you love those, and not just like your neighbors in abstract, but the, the people that are living next to you? The people that you hear uh, coming through your walls as they're, they're loud and, and noisy. Do you love those people as you listen and live next to them? And on one hand, you might answer yes. Well, yeah, I love my neighbors. I love those living next to me. But then take time to stop right now and reflect on your answer in light of what Jesus has said to us in Matthew 7 verse 12. What does your love for your neighbor look like in action? Do you do to your neighbors the things that you would want done to you? Do you take time to get to know your neighbors? Do you know their names? Do you care for your neighbors? Do you seek to find ways to love them, to show them grace, to show them mercy, to take time to to seek to build a relationship in which you can share the love and the goodness and the kindness of Jesus Christ with them, the truth of his word? Do you seek to become salt and light in the city on the hill in a relationship with them for the glory of God and for their good? Do you love them? practically. Or to walk through another example, we could, we could ask this question. We could say, Christ City, looking at you husbands, do you love your wives? And on the one hand, you could say, yes, yeah, I love my wife. But on the other hand, we need to stop again and look at how concrete Jesus' words are here to, uh, uh, to us in chapter 7, verse 12. Do we treat our wives the way that we treat ourselves? Do we do unto them as we would want to be done to you know, Paul, he picks this up and he applies the love command very concretely to husbands himself in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 28 and 29. Because he says this to husbands in that text. He says, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Right, so there's a love command. You need to love them, but love them as your own body. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it. Great city husbands, you know how to love yourselves and how to care for yourselves. You do it often. 
You do it easily with what you eat, with how you exercise, with the clothing you put on your bodies. And Jesus' call, and Paul's pressing in on this point to you, is yes, but do you love your wives the same way? Do you love your wives concretely by showing the same love that you have for yourself towards them? Let's look at another example. We can ask this question. Christ City, do you love one another? Do you love those that are in the congregation of the church, those that, that make up the body of Christ City? Again, on the one hand, yeah, sure, we love one another. I love you. You love me. This is great. But on the other hand, we need to take time to stop and to apply Jesus' words to see how concrete this must be worked out. Do we forgive as we want to be forgiven? Do we forgive as we want to be forgiven? Do we help as we want to be helped? Do we sacrifice for others the way that we want to be sacrificed for? Or do we forbear with those who irritate us the way that we would hope that others would forbear with us and our own idiosyncrasies? Do we love without keeping a record of wrongs? Do we love others thinking the best of them and not the worst and protecting ourselves from assuming the worst about them? In short, do we love like we would want to be loved? You see, the heart of what Jesus is saying and the golden rule is he's taking the love command to love one another, to love your neighbor as yourself, and he's applying it in a concrete way, saying, look, the whole of the Bible's teaching about how we are to relate as human beings to one another is fulfilled and is worked out in this and how we practically love one another. You know, Christ City, there was a time in my life where I missed this. I missed this in a huge way. I mean, I, I knew that love was important. But I missed how central it was in the Bible's teaching. I, I looked at scripture and to some degree I thought, well, you know, I get that John, the apostle John who wrote some of the New Testament, I get that he was kind of the love guy. But the other authors of scripture, maybe not so much. Maybe not them. They had other and more important things to say. The, reason, the reality was that as I learned and as I grew and as I saw more of scripture, I realized how wrong I was. And I saw that it wasn't just that John was a love guy, but that John was a love guy, and Peter was a love guy, and Paul was a love guy, and Jesus was a love guy, and the whole of the Old Testament was full of authors who were the love guys as God was communicating to us through Scripture his great love and calling us to love one another. I want to show you a few examples of, of how this is the case. Just look at a couple in the New Testament. See, Paul in Romans chapter 13, verse 8, he emphasizes love. He says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Or look at what John says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 20. He says, if anyone says, I love God, I love God. If anyone says that and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. He goes so far to say that if you are not living this law of love, loving others as you have been loved, then you don't know God. You don't love God either. Peter emphasizes, he emphasizes the same thing in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, and he says this. He says, above all, above all, more than anything, keep loving one another earnestly. Keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. 
And even as you open up the Old Testament, as you look at the, that first half of the Bible, and it's, it's confusing and it's difficult, there's parts of it that are hard to understand. As, as we look at it and as we learn it, we come to see that this is the story of a holy God who is good, who's created us and who loves us and who pursues us even in our sin, who pursues us to reconcile us to himself, to show us his steadfast love and his mercy. It's a story of the whole of the Bible. Even as Lamentations 3 verse 22 says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases and his mercies never come to an end. So Christ said, here's the bottom line. Jesus is able to summarize his teaching about his greater righteousness. He's able to summarize it with the golden rule because the golden rule is a little picture, a little word picture of what it looks like for us to live the love the Bible speaks of and the love of Christ in action toward one another. And the thing is, Jesus has been aiming at this in the whole of the Sermon on the Mount. What he's been doing is he's been trying to to lead us in repentance of our sin and to lead us to a place where we come with a renewed orientation of our hearts towards God. So we live in his love. We see the love of the Father for us and we delight in it. And that it so fills us and changes us that we respond by loving that same love outward towards others so that we are transformed to shine his glory and his love to one another. Christ City. This love, this Bible full of love, this Savior who shows us God's perfect love, this is what sets Jesus' words here in the golden rule, what sets them apart from everyone else who says similar things. You see, I don't know if you know this, but the golden rule is not unique to Jesus. There are many parallels to the golden rule in human history. One commentator even wrote this about uh, Jesus' words here. He said, The idea of doing to others as one wishes to be done to is almost a universal sentiment. It can be found in Buddhist and Confucian and Islamic texts. And I think the question for some would be, as they see that, then they say, then what is so unique about Jesus? Why should we listen to his words over and against someone else's? Why should we follow Jesus when other people have said the same thing? What's unique about Christianity? What I want to show you now as we turn to our second point, the standard of love, we're going to see that The uniqueness of Jesus' words are because of the uniqueness of Jesus' love. That Jesus, as the one who speaks them and delivers them to us in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, that he is set apart by the greatness and the power and the purity and the depth and the riches of his own unparalleled love. I want to show you some examples of this. You know, Jesus, though he is God, though he is the second person of the Trinity who lived for all of eternity, lives for all of eternity at the right hand of the Father, dwelling in love with Father and Spirit. Though he is that in purity and holiness, he came down, he condescended, came to earth and took on human flesh, entered our suffering and our pain and our sorrow in order to love sinners and to draw us toward him. Jesus, in his life, he healed the diseases of the poor and the sick, And the sinful, we see that in Matthew 4, verse 23, which says this. Jesus went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people as he shows his love toward human beings. Jesus forgave sin. In Matthew 9, verse 2, in his his life, his earthly life, we read that when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. 
Jesus, though he is God and perfect and holy, he is merciful and compassionate. And he would draw even sinful people around him to show them love and mercy. We see that in Matthew 9, verse 10, as he says this, As Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. As he welcomed sinners like you and I into his presence, not treating us as outcasts, but drawing us in and showing us his love and his mercy and his compassion. Or look at Matthew 12, verse 20, where Jesus shows compassion and tenderness to the broken as Matthew quotes the words of Isaiah. Jesus is this kind of Savior, this kind of God. Matthew 12, 20, a bruised reed, Jesus will not break. A smoldering wick, he will not quench. Christ City, I don't know how, how you view yourself in this season. There's many days right now where I feel like a bruised reed, a bruised grass frail and broken or like a candle that's about to flicker and to go out. But Jesus is a sort of savior who in his love, in his love for, for his neighbor, he is compassionate and merciful and tender even to those who are the most vulnerable and broken, like us. There's more. This Jesus, he did all of these things, but he did so much more because he, God in human flesh, He gave his life for the sake of others. Look at what Matthew says in Matthew 20, verse 28. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. It's his love. Or Matthew 26, verse 28. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. You see, Christ City, Jesus is God. He is God who, in the words of theologian and pastor Fleming Rutledge, has come down from his throne on high into the world of sinful human flesh and of his own free will and decision has come under his own judgment in order to deliver us from everlasting condemnation and bring us into eternal life. He has not required human sacrifice. He has himself become the human sacrifice. He has not churned us over and forsaken us. He was himself churned over and forsaken. Why? Because of his love. Because of his perfect love. Jesus did unto others and loved his neighbor as himself to the point of death, though he was God, though he is God. You see, as we look at the golden rule in comparison to other similar words in human history, what sets it apart, what sets it apart far more than any other words that are like it, is the perfect standard of Jesus' own love for us. Jesus' love in contrast to the love of any other. No love is higher or deeper and pure. And the thing is, as we see that, As we see the standard that he's calling us to, it leaves us in a tough spot. Because when we hear his words with humble hearts, we see how sinful we really are. We see his words here on the page of scripture and we see that they're they're measured not by you and I and our standard of love, but by his own standard of love. And we see, man, we fall short of this. We see the way that we fail to do what he's called us to. We see the way that we live not by his standard of love, but by our own corrupted and sinful standard of love. The way that we excuse ourselves for our bitterness and still call it love. The way that we excuse not loving people because of our hatred and we still call it love. The way that we fail to get off our couches and actually serve and help and care for others 
but we still call it love and we justify our wrong and confused standard of love because of our sinfulness. We fall so short. And there's good, and yet there's good news for us today. There's good news for us, Christ City, as we look at our third point. There's good news here as we look at the third point, the power and practice of love, because not only does Jesus call us to a perfect standard of love for one another, he's also a Savior who in his love and his mercy, but the power of the Holy Spirit can empower us to fulfill what he calls us to do. How does he do that? He does it this way. He does it by taking our cold and dead hearts that are so prone to judgment and to criticism and to bitterness and he empties us of ourselves and he fills us instead with his own life, drawing us into his own love as he pours out his Holy Spirit into our lives to change us, to fill us with himself and to cause us to love others. Paul says it this way. He talks about this. He says it this way in Romans 5 verses 5 to 6. He says, God's love has been poured into our hearts to the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Christ said, the good news of the gospel is that God, he's a God who works miracles in the lives of dead people. As he takes them, as we put our faith in Jesus, as we're joined with Jesus in his death and in his resurrection, as we die with him in our sin and in the brokenness of our unloving hearts, and as we're raised with him to new life in his resurrection, and as he pours out his Holy Spirit to empower us to do what we cannot do on our own, to learn to live and to abide in the love of Christ because his spirit is within us. We now love as he has uh, as he has loved us. We learn to do that and we are empowered for it by the power of his Holy Spirit. There's a great gospel summary of all of this in 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, and it says this. John says, We love because God first loved us. We love, the heart of the gospel is that we love one another because God has first, in his mercy and his grace, loved us through Jesus Christ, his Son. So, as we conclude, I want to challenge you. Some of you know this truth. I think some of us are really familiar with these ideas and these, these phrases, these words from Jesus and from the Bible. We know them. They're in our minds. But the thing is, that's about as far as this, this knowledge or as this truth touches us, just our minds. You see, Jesus isn't teaching us in Matthew 7, 12 to only know this truth, to only know about his love and how we're called to live towards one another. What he's doing is he's calling us out of just knowing about it into practically living it and showing it to one another, to concretely practice it in our lives together as we rely on the Holy Spirit and learn to abide in his love. So I want to ask you, Christ City, given all of that, how are you doing in loving one another? How are you doing in doing to others as you would have them do to you? Where are you at? Is this easy for you? Is this something that's very difficult for you? Is this something that you've just kind of grown accustomed to ignoring and to not doing in your lives? Or are you on the cusp as you hear these words? Are you being challenged? And is the Holy Spirit leading you to repentance? And are you deciding right now, I want to grow. I want to change. I want to learn to walk and to live in the way that Jesus has loved me. If that's where you are and you're wondering where you could start, I want to give you a couple of practical ideas of where you can begin before uh, we bring this to an end. 
Well, you may have heard, I remember last week we've now, we've talked and we've announced about our partnership with Jacob's Well uh, here at Christ City Church and the way that we are now trying to care for those that are uh, in, in dire need in the downtown east side because of COVID and social isolation and the realities that they're facing. I want to encourage you to show love practically uh, by helping out uh, with our partnership with Jacob's Well. Mondays from 9 to 4, we are receiving donations now at our South Vancouver building. Uh, and you can bring things that, that, that we need, that we are looking for, that you might have, that you could purchase in order to help out those who are in dire need. On Mondays from 4 to 6 p.m., uh, you can even volunteer to make those, those items, to, to draw them together and put them in boxes and to bring those boxes and to deliver them uh, to Jacob's Well on the downtown east side. If you want to know more about that, please email me at brant at christcitychurch.ca and I would love to connect you uh, in this wonderful way that we can show love practically. Another way that we can continue to show love and to uh, do unto others is to have eyes in this season that are looking out for ways to care for one another. I don't know uh, where you're at right now. There's been a lot of caring that's been happening in, our, in, our, in our, this church and we want to praise God for that. But I want to encourage you not to grow tired, not to grow weary, but to press on looking for those uh, that might have needs and seeking to care for them, to encourage them, to build them up uh, in this season. Another way that we can think of doing unto others is a little bit different than we might first think. Uh, it's got an evangelistic edge to it. Because here's the reality, doing unto others as you would have them do to you means that, that you would care enough about your friends who aren't believers, your friends who don't know Jesus yet, and your neighbors who don't know Jesus yet, to take the time to pursue them in relationship in order to share the good news of Jesus with them. I found this crazy city to be a season in my life where I've been able to reach out through the phone or via text or through social media to a number of friends that I have that aren't yet followers of Jesus, to connect with them, to show that I love them and care for them, to, to, seek, to, to see if they have any needs that I could meet in this season, to ask how they're doing and to check in on them and to actually look for ways to, to share the good news about Jesus with them. I encourage you to do the same. Another way that you could be doing this as well is to take time to invite those uh, who might be a little bit closer to, to being interested about Jesus, to invite them to come to um, one of our Sunday gatherings on Zoom. We can still invite one another to church in this season. I want to encourage you to, to look for opportunities to do that. Lastly, I think that we can do this in another very important way. And it's by seeking reconciliation in our relationships. I think for a lot of us, we, we let this go, we let this slide and, and go past this because we ignore the doing unto others in terms of personal reconciliation. But I want to ask you right now, are there those in your life in this season that God is asking you to seek out and to seek their forgiveness, to seek reconciliation, to repent of bitterness, to draw close in relationship, even though the history that you have with that person is difficult and hard. Is God calling you to draw near to them, to reconcile in love, even though it's difficult? Christ City, we hear in this text the words of Jesus summarizing his greater righteousness and calling us towards love to one another. I want to encourage you, let us now live this love of God for us outwards towards others so that they would look at us, that they would see our good deeds and glorify our Father who is in heaven.